What's up? Welcome to our first ever podcast. I think we're going to make it happen this year. You know, people have been asking for it. And I wanted to do this for a while, but just been procrastinating, as you know. And this is our Leverage Addict podcast, where you can get more leverage out of your time and money and your investments. Well, that, that's the aim um, for us as well as investors, as business owners, to, to invest, to leverage as much as we can safely and intelligently. And yep. the reason that we're keen to keep talking about it is to help ourselves learn more by teaching and to reach, to, to have those epiphanies that you, to try and talk about leverage more <laughs> so that we can, we can learn from it and, and do, do more of it. We don't just talk about leverage. It's all, it's all about using it Action. and actually borrowing more money. <laughs> well, yeah, and there, there's a lot of different uh, types of leverage, as, as, as you well know. So since it's our first episode, why don't we do a quick intro? Andrew Malcolm, this is my business partner, Mortgage HQ and Wealth HQ. Tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, what's, what's on the resume? Resume. <laughs> uh, business resume. Uh, came up through freight forwarding and dangerous goods and a packaging business, family business. Worked in, in, in that since I was about 14, mostly in the holidays, saving money, learning about business, learning about management. And uh, it was, my dad did quite well in business. And how did you go from that to mortgages? Well, when I was, so I did, I did the, the normal uh, commerce degree at Auckland Uni and then went back to work at uh, Dangerous Goods Management, um, more on the sales and operational side and saved up about 20 grand cash. And this is when the iPhone first came out. I decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest. And I found an app development company. So this is when the app store just got opened on iPhone. And I found uh, four... Kiwi guys, <laughs> Indian, two Koreans, and a Chinese guy working in a basement in Birkenhead. Mate, you got the sweatshop going yeah, on. These, these uh, four lovely geeky guys were coding apps for the App Store, and they're one of the first app development houses in the world. And none of them had any real business now or sale experience. And I thought, hey, I think I know a little bit about business. And you guys are not going to sell without, uh, you know, a Kiwi guy who will pick up the phone and answer the phone. Oh, so is that how we got into business? Like, you don't think I'll pick up the phone? Um, but long story short, I, I gave them my 20 grand when I was like 22 or something. And uh, my parents were like, what, what are you doing? And uh, then we, we ended up um, developing apps for like Sky City and... Um, Vodafone and uh, we, we built the first ASOS uh, app, but we built heaps of apps and we started other companies and I got to travel around the world and, and learn about business and sales and marketing and finance and learn all the things through actually being a business owner myself. Why are you still here then? Shouldn't you just be like swimming in money right now? Like well, the, the good thing about getting a business early is you can make a lot of the mistakes early and that's what, that's what I did. I made nice. these mistakes and some of those mistakes you don't even realize you made them until 5, 10, 20 years later, you reflect back and you can see this is why that wasn't successful is because I was trying to do it this way and there's, 
there's a lot better ways. Um, so I sold out of that a couple of years later after getting heaps of experience and just only kind of making a bit of money as I went, just more as, as getting paid for the work I was doing. Now I just spent a few years floating between different business ideas and different jobs until I came to you know, start up doing in the mortgage game with you. Um, and that's so actually before the mortgage game you were the whole ice house thing like you you were doing that with chuck and ben and john yeah, so there was about a three or four year period between the app development stuff and mortgages where i was kind of a bit lost and i started with a blank sheet of paper when i was 27 wrote down on my birthday 20 different industries that I would research and two of those were mortgages and insurance and I <clears throat> long story what was, the, what was the what was the selling point well, I wanted to build software uh, for industries that were kind of generic around the world because I wanted to build a software as a service business and so I started helping mortgage and insurance advisors with their marketing so I could learn about their business and about a year or two into doing that, we we're making some money. There was a there was a team of four of us. We we went through a business accelerator program, got a little bit of investment. Um, but what we found is that we couldn't get critical mass enough. We couldn't get enough advisor clients to prove our software. We had to start our own advisory firm as like a a case study for our software and our services. And what ended up happening with you is the advisory business was a lot more successful faster than the software business. Yeah, we're just impatient, eh? We are impatient, guys. We need a, you know, like we had electricity bills, water bills, mortgage, kids, you know, so. So, so yeah, the first two years of, of our business together, we had a software business and an advisory business all combined into one. And what ended up happening after two or three years as we split those businesses away that software business now is very successful but we're not um, owners anymore the advisory business we have has has gone pretty good as well so you know, essentially you know eight years ago we started two businesses and now we have the one that we we wanted to to be in yeah we kind of let go of the one that is highly scalable to the one that you know has to scale up with human bodies um, difficult every day. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be in finance. No, definitely. I think it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be able to help people and sort of educate them on how they could build their wealth, change the trajectory of their future. So that's what I believe in, man. Got into the insurance side. Is yeah. Yep. Yep. So actually today wasn't so much focused on our background and maybe uh, as, as, we, as we get along with this podcast, you know, we talk about more things. But today, actually, I want to talk about some of the key lessons in properties in 2022. And it was an interesting year. That's, that's the commentary when you ask other people, yeah. how was last year? Interesting. What made it so interesting, though? What do you What do you think? Why do you think people said it was interesting? Well, it's the first time in so long that property values have gone down, and yeah. 
it's so obvious that that was going to happen eventually. Really? Uh, no way. No way. To me, it was property it was, can't go down. To, to, to me, it seems so obvious because there's a there's a very long trend line, and that 2020 and 2021 period, the property values in New Zealand shot up way above that trend line, and and what has to happen because it was such a quick bump above the trend line as well and so big, it has to be volatile. Uh, it has to bounce back down below that trend line. And I think the question for everyone in 2022 is, is it going to keep dropping? And for how long? Is this going to be a five-year property drop plateau? Or is it going to be like a five-month thing? Yeah. True way. I mean, when it first dropped, the first thing I tried to look at was like, okay, how many months were the previous drops? And how far down did it go? And from my research, I was like, well, I'm obviously doing a technical analysis. Like, there's far more complexity in the markets. But at least you can look to the past and go, hey, this is what's happened in the past. This is probably, hopefully, around that timeline. You know, some of, some of them were longer, some of them were shorter. But I can say for sure now, <laughs> it's the market's dropped more than what I expected. And also, it's lasted longer than I expected. And it's, it, that's why it's so interesting because the complexity around how the whole COVID situation works is just so different. Like it, it forced the whole, glo- whole global economy to print massive amounts of dollars. Well, and, and inflation is actually beneficiary for us. So you can have the, the market go down like it has and then you've got inflation pushing construction costs and wages, and it's, it's pressure to push price, house prices back up. And so it, it's just because there's so many different variables to consider, it's very hard to predict what's going to happen. And so I, I got I got some questions prepared, um, and these questions, interestingly enough, is from OpenAI. Yeah. I uh, went to ask my OpenAI, my ChatGPT bot, and I asked him, hey, what are some good podcast questions to reflect on the lessons of 2023? And it came up with 15, but Andrew actually picked four of these questions, so I'm, I'm going to ask him and perhaps you know, I'll chip in where I can as well. What are the lessons you've learned in 2022 and you'll bring to this year? Yeah, I think the main big lesson was how much impact the government can have when they change the rules. And when they change the rules almost overnight, how much of a negative impact that that can have on property values. What are some major rules that change in the New Zealand market? Well, the the taking away of interest deductibility was, was the major surprise that nobody predicted. And all of the experts who consulted on that proposed change said that it was a very silly idea to do. If you were to like dumb down what interest deductibility did, what would that look like? Well, to simplify, what the government has done is taken the deduction that used to happen for investors on the cost of your mortgage away 
from um, your bottom line. Basically, if you had a property that was netting you, say, five grand a year, taking this away might mean that you're now losing five grand a year or more. And so what what investors are doing when they're buying investment properties is they're buying based on the return, the yield. And so most investors have bought requiring that 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 yield and the banks have, and the accountants and like everyone has done their numbers on on having that deduction in there yeah. as a normal expense deduction and then when they take that away all of a sudden investors are now facing a negative that they weren't expecting yeah. and for a lot of investors that they're investing right close to the max level yeah, so like say for example, if you had I don't know fifty thousand dollar rent, like from a property for a million dollars, that's five percent return. How much would the mortgage roughly be, like in a like in that sense? Because it would depend, right? Like it depend well, on. And this is where where the fact that interest rates have gone up at the same time as this deduction being taken away, because when the interest rates are two and a half percent that million dollars used to cost 25 grand a year if the rent was say 40 50 grand a year there's a big surplus yeah so essentially what you're saying is like a double whammy because that million dollar property five percent return fifty thousand dollars in income maybe the mortgage was like 25 and you still have some income left and you only pay tax on that twenty five thousand, like on the difference but now you can't even deduct that. So like you have to pay tax on the full whack of that $50,000 income. Yeah. And this, because there's so many moving parts that are mathematical, most mom and dad property investors, they don't deep dive into the numbers like this. And it is very scary, the prospect of losing money on an investment and especially with the unknown of for how long. Um, so the, the, the confidence in the property market has just been shot in the ankles from behind in the dark with no warning. And and that's why the market has dropped so quickly. Um, you, know, you, can, you can see what the Reserve Bank did is pump the market with cash for years. Then the interest rates dropped so low, irresponsibly, that pumped up prices. And then the, the Reserve Bank did the complete opposite and rise interest rates really quickly and to put a huge handbrake on the market. And with a benef- soft landing benefit of hindsight, supposedly, you can see the Reserve Bank's actions, um, from my ignorant point of view, have been like it's it's been pretty distasteful, and uh, they they definitely didn't anticipate intelligently like what impact their actions were going to have on the market. Well, so what what is the takeaway? I mean, government changes, like, I mean, how do you apply that in your investing? Like, how could you bring that into, like, an application? Well, the thing is you need to invest with a margin of safety. You know, you need to make sure that if interest rates do, in fact, double within a year, that, you can one afford it and two that you're not going to get into a point where you panic sell you might have made money on the way in and you lose all of it and more on the way out because you didn't anticipate these changes 
you're talking about my life story yeah here. yeah yeah <laughs> so many many people that thought that they were pretty slick you know because they're buying properties that are going up in value and they're making all of these this big yield because of the rates being so low and now probably unwilling to admit that maybe they're not as smart as they thought they were and yeah there's a lot of accidental successful investors that you know, did very well because the market went up so so much margin of safety is something that warren buffett talks a lot about as well um obviously from his mentor benjamin graham it's true i mean that you can apply it in stock you can apply it in any investments really Margin and safety doesn't have to come from extra savings or buying well below your means it can be simply that you're investing with partners so that okay one you're not going to get all of the full benefit but you're going to share the burden and the risk that and that um i think that what what 2022 just does is forces you to remember the fundamentals yeah. of, of not losing money and investing based on on the maths not the feel yeah funny that funny you say fundamentals because i think if i reflected back on 2022 for my for me personally it's really sticking to the principles yeah. like as as you progress as you mature as an investor you hear the same thing over and over again right but it's a matter of sticking to them yeah. And because the deal that I did, I mean, you know, last last couple of years, there were really some really good deals that um, we all did. But the one deal that I lost sleep over was this property where, the long story short, we bought two sites, three of us, JV partners, two sites for $4.4 million, And then, you know, we added a little bit of value through um, some sort of consent um, and and just drew some pictures for a developer and then we sold it to them for five million, right? The developer paid a deposit, um, locked in the deal. We're gonna settle in March this year. But the long story short is they couldn't settle. And at the end of it, I'm down 300 with my mates. Yeah, and, and you've got the money and it hurts and all the progress you made on all those other deals is taking money away from those, right? The thing is, with that one, I go, man, I feel like I did everything right. Like, I worked on, like, it was a calculated decision, right? But the thing that I believe I could have done better was just sticking to the principle that I've given myself. So if I was to go back to that, um, deal, what happened was we've got the one site already. We got it for really good price, really good price. And any deal that I try to buy, the principle that I stick with is to buy under four values. So the four values, if it's not under four, at least three. So we have to buy below market value, uh, below a renovated value. So like if we were to improve the property, it has to buy, it has to be lower than that in, in position value. So then we already got two outs. The reason for that is because each value targets a different segment of the market. So market value just means like, hey, majority of the market, if it's slightly below, at least that's your your first, you know, 
portion of margin of safety. And the third one is if there was a minor development, like, you know, if you could put a minor dwelling and that site was perfect because it was already ready to go. You can put a minor dwelling at the back. And then fourthly, it takes a bit more calculation, a, a bit more time invested, which is the development margin. So if I can target a property that is below all four, all four values, then I know I have way more outs. Like uh, when I say outs, it's kind of like thinking in poker. If you guys play poker, like it's just counting how many cards to come. Exactly. And what happened, we had the one site, but then the opportunity came when the neighbor was like, oh, since I couldn't buy the site next door because it was an auction, they went to auction, they couldn't, but they, they didn't um, come out winning. They're like, why don't you buy my site? But we kind of like, oh, now we're all good. But then we kind of kept that conversation going, my, my business partner, and he was the opportunist. And he's like, oh, actually, they want to sell this for two and a half. We, we got our site for 1.78, like something around 1.8. They wanted to sell it for like two and a half. <laughs> and the thing is, when we did the numbers for like all three are out, right? Like it's not below market value. It's not below renovated value. It's not below minor development value. But if we put the two sites together, we were below the development value. And that was the reason why we made the decision. And because the market was so hot at the time for developers, they were they were everywhere, right? So we're like, we took the chance. It was a bit of FOMO, to be honest, and more like, you know, like the, the thrill of doing a deal. You know what I'm oh, talking yeah. about. I mean, Andrew. you get the deal, deal heat. <laughs> yeah. And you got to do a deal. You got right? emotional as well because you, you, yeah. you know, you thought you got King Pierre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All in on the aces and the kings, right? But, um, yeah, that essentially, that's the reason why we made the decision. But, but buying, but buying, but by buying that deal, I actually stayed away from the principle that I set for myself. And yeah. I think if we bought that site with the same principle, there was no reason for us to actually lose money. But um, yeah, sticking to the principles. Yeah, I mean, I've, we're getting tested on a weekly basis on whether we're going to. T- stick to the principles with our investing and um you need an investment checklist you know you need to treat it like you're going to pilot an aircraft and that you're checking boxes and you've got to show your workings to your wife and to your 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 business partner before you say hey i'm about to make this million dollar bet and i'll just like to show you my investment checklist and how many uh red boxes uh (laughs) have a cross on them (laughs) Yeah, man. But that is that. I mean, um, I'm glad that's over. And uh, it's live mastermind class, you know, 100K entrance fee. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I learned a lot of uh, business lessons. I got a I got a business under contract last year that was like a 40-year-old business. And it was still around $3 million in revenue. It had gone down a lot um, because of the health of the owner. And... I was running the business for a couple of months uh, while I had it under contract and I brought in a partner to merge that company and I ended up getting squeezed out of the deal at the end. So I probably spent like um, maybe like 20 grand of time and and I lost like a half a million dollars of of what of profit profitable opportunity and I I made a lot of mistakes around contracts and around trust 
and 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 mis mistaking people's kindness for you know for 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 business wanting to do it you know, together and so uh, lessons from from 2022 is to just making sure that you anticipate uh the, the deal all the way to the end and that you have proper contracts in place that that protect you to make sure that if you're going to add value into a deal because i was adding a lot of value and i did you showed your hand too early yeah, and i show my hand and um you've got to make sure that you get you get paid for the value that you bring and it's the same with property transactions if you're finding good property deals that are undervalued and you're looking to assign them to other people because you don't have capital to to, to get those deals themselves just going to make sure your contracts protect you and um that's the key thing about property and a business is that it's 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 not the 1970s anymore you can't do stuff on handshakes even though we all wish we could it, it pays to have good legal help and to anticipate somebody is trying to when money's involved to take advantage of you oh i had a first first hand lesson with the legal action here with that particular deal as well we actually signed one of us signed in the personal name and nominated to the company and so by doing that it actually opens up for the vendor to sue to trace back to the original um, signee and they could actually sue them personally so one of us we, we we let our shareholder off the hook you know we we um show our grace otherwise he could um we could have just um, bankrupt uh, the company and then maybe I'll just go back to him like, I wasn't in the deal. <laughs> hey, but, but you know, talking about some handshake um, business, that was definitely some handshake business because otherwise if we were... Yeah, in- you just got to really pick who you are doing handshake business deals with because, you know, you and I have got plenty of handshake deals that we're happy with and still rolling with. It's just um, not doing handshake deals with people you don't know yet. You know, you, you might like someone after a couple of coffees or beers or whatever, but, you know, they don't care about you. In saying that, I mean, there are some good good things that happen. I, I think in terms of sticking to the principal, interest rate was a huge one. Um, just, just, yeah, so simple, right? But, like, man, I'm just glad, like, uh, I've got a good portion of mine on four years, 3%. Otherwise, I'll be selling more houses this year, mm. or, or adding partners, and and, and um, sticking to the principle. You know, we always talk about cash flow. I'm I'm pretty stoked with one of the deals in Martin last year in Palmerston North. Um, it's it's finishing up. Salvation Army's coming in on Friday, and that should be a deal with at least ten percent gross yield. So you're helping, yeah, you're helping people sticking, helping, yeah. sticking to the principle, stick to the principle, stick to the numbers. Yeah, well, even though people have very low confidence in this market right now, there's still a lot of 10% deals out there. Um, they might require a little bit of extra work or there might be in areas where you're not, no, you've got to, you've got to research them. Yeah. No. So what are your predictions for 2023? I say there'll be a lot less investors in total 
So there'll be, there's going to be heaps of people selling property um, that are not thinking long-term or are feeling a lot of financial pressure because of inflation, because of interest rates, because of lack of deductions. And a lot of people are going to be saying cut, cut losses. And so what you get is a natural monopoly of property investment where property investors that are very successful, very set up, very deep pockets, they'll be buying a lot more properties. Yeah. Um, and, and they'll, they'll be cherry picking the real good ones. There'll be a lot, there's a lot of people, a lot of gurus out there like, hey, you know, buy this negative cash flow property while it's on two and a half percent. And, you know, it's going to be cash flow positive in eight years because your rent is going to, you know, rise so quickly, right? But come on. We, we know what's happened. Like the interest rate's gone up three folds yeah. and you got no interest deductibility and your living cost is costing more now. Yeah. So that's it's pretty tough for a lot of those negative cash flow property deals that rely on capital gains. Yeah, especially because a lot of them are new builds and they won't have the capital gains. Not, yeah. I, well, I guess there are definitely capital gains in most properties, perhaps a bit slower. Well, when... What people don't realize is, say, a new build property in uh, Glen Innes, 800000 If a year later it's worth, say, 820000 but the inflation has been 10%, that property has gone down. Yeah, and so if the debt hasn't been going down because you've had it on interest only, and it's been negatively geared, then you, know, you lost 50 grand on that property. And uh, the good news is it's still going for another year <laughs> again. Yeah, it, it is It is a tough decision. I mean, like a, a lot of these clients and even friends and family and, you know, they ha they might have this property that was slightly positive cash flow and then now it's negative cash flow by 50,000, 60,000. Like, what do you do with that? Yeah, and, and this is where people need to pull up the pants and say, am I going to ride this out, anticipating inflation to push property prices up and that you know, very, very, very high chance in 10 years' time this property is going to be worth a lot more, but it might for the next two or three years go down. But there's actually a quick plug-in here because I've made a video on exactly what you could consider in this situation when you're trying to decide, okay, well, I've got this negative cash flow property now. Should I hold on to it or should I sell it? There's seven strategies that you can go through on our YouTube channel, Mortgage HQ. Definitely check it out. So predictions, um, I think there will be change of government. There's a lot of people, most, most media are, are predicting that. So change of government, they will bring back the interest deductibility. Um, so let's just pray for that. But we've um, had that. Had, had some <laughs> of those MPs in here telling us, you know, it will happen and it will happen fast. If even if that takes a little bit while to come back, I think a change of government will push confidence back up in terms of business and property. But what's the probability that Labor comes back in with like a second party backing them? You know? Yeah, this is the risk. You know. If you think there's a change of government and that things will improve, then you write it out. If you think the 
current government will get a, another another round, um, then the likelihood that property market will keep going up is not high. You know, so and that they might bring in more taxes, even though they campaign it on no no new taxes. That there's been a lot of new taxes, and most of them are for people that are investing. Well, do you think this is a coin flip? Or is it like a five-sided dice, you know, with two for Labour and three for la- three for National? Yeah, 80, 20 or... I'm pretty confident. 80-20, very optimistic. Yeah, um, I'm optimistic in that it feels like Labour's doing everything they possibly can to make everyone hate them. Um, so... I, I do think um, prices are somewhat at an equilibrium at the moment. I mean, even if interest rate were to go up a bit more, I don't think there's too much room for it to come down. Like people are just not going to let go. What's happening is over the last five to 10 years, like a significant proportion of the value of a property has been the land, which is not across the world. That's not, that's not necessarily the case. So you've got properties in Auckland that are like a million dollar rateable value and like 900,000 of it is, is the land and then 100K for the house. What inflation is doing is pushing construction and replacement costs for properties up. So the land value is going down, the replacement value is going up. And so inflation is helping the property price to stay where it is because of that, even though the land value is going down. Um, So I don't think there's gonna be massive reductions of property values especially with high inflation and it might be like a five-year plateau of property prices in real terms um, before you know another another increase in in values yeah uh, is is land prices going up or is it just short-term you know people buying without fundamentals and just driving up the prices temporarily i i believe it's the latter because a lot of l- properties in South Auckland, for example, like if you look at these deals, just I'm not saying all of them, but majority of them, it's undevelopable on based on the price that it's bought bought as. And I think it was a temporary thing, you know, like people overpaid like that that short while because no one's experienced, like many, many people have not experienced a two, three percent. And a lot, like most of us, even ourselves, just think that it's gonna keep going. Is it? Is is that the? Um, is it called a gambler's fallacy? I'm sure there's a lot of biases involved. Um, as soon as you add gasoline to a fire, it's gonna you know, it's gonna grow, and that's what yeah. those low rates allowed for is is more leverage. Yeah, I do. I do think prices can come down a bit more but not too far i mean i think you're going to see even for our business for example we can see you know over a thousand uh, renewals in just first three months that are between two three like hardly any fours i couldn't see fives but two three some fours percent interest rate going up to six to seven that's going to be a lot of belt tightening in the in the near medium term yeah and and a lot People won't sell their properties. They won't move. They'll just ride it out. And and the thing that I, I'm most worried about is that 
the stats don't catch up quick enough. Like the government don't see these things happening quick enough. And they keep pushing the rates further and it just for a little bit too long. I mean, they, they did exactly yeah, that before. Because you're expecting rational behavior from the government. <laughs> but I think definitely this year, you really have to be in a defensive defensive mode. I think attack is totally fine, but uh, a team, team, team approach makes more sense that to help you avoid making mistakes, you want to invest it as a group and to lighten the burden should things not go away the way as planned. You know, if there's three of you, it's better for you to buy three deals together as a three than it is to buy individual deals each because if one of those doesn't go the way you plan, then you only hit with a third of that. Definitely. And so it is, it is more complicated to invest in groups um, but the reward is not just financial; is is the enjoyment goes up, and you can diversification. You, you learn a lot more, and you bring different skills to the party. Yeah, look, I I personally think, yeah, the government will bring confidence back into the market. The I new mean, government. Yeah, let's let's see, let's see. So, looking forward right, in 2023, what sort of advice would you give someone looking to make the most of, of it? You talked about it. You can be a little bit on the offense and maybe when you go on the offense, you would go on the team. you got to know what your strengths are as, a, as an investor. Is it a property finding? Is it uh, being able to get debt? Is it uh, renovations management? Uh, the advice is to find a team that bridges your weaknesses and for you to focus on your strengths and to double down on them. And that if you find the right deals, you should be able to find investors to do deals with you. Um, when interest rates are going up, it's very hard to trade properties. Um, so and, and it's just, you should be buying properties with the intention of adding value um, in in a very quick fashion, if you're going to do anything, but you don't want a long renovation period. But there's plenty of properties still for sale that are development potential properties, maybe even already consented. If you think in 10 years time, the values are going to be higher and you can invest. I don't understand why you wouldn't. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm totally on the same page with what you're saying. I think if I was to sum it up, don't be afraid and just be courageous. Don't be afraid, be courageous, but not courage with ignorance, but educated courage. And, and you don't have to buy in your backyard, right? You, got, you can buy where there is yield and when there is potential. And I think regardless though, you like the first thing you need to sort out is the cash flow and the cash reserve position before you go on the offense, you know, like, I think in the last couple of years, you could go on the offense with no money in the bank. But now I think really you have to think first, okay, do I have my foundation right? Do I have you know, a good level of savings, um, months of runway if, if something were to happen? At least sort that out first. And if you could bring 
you know, if you sort yourself out, maybe you don't have the extra money to invest, but you've got the knowledge, you can partner up with someone. Well, yeah, with a bit we even talked to a guy yesterday who he bought a, a very big deal, 20 million plus deal, and then on sold it for a million dollar profit. You know, he didn't really have to do any work. So there's lots of ways to make money in property. It doesn't require that you settle on things. It doesn't require that you do the renovations yourself or pay for renovations. You can, you can make money in property in lots of different ways. Um, We're going to bring that guy on the podcast, right? Of course. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to close off with this last question here. What are your plans and goals for 2023? My plans are to expand my chemicals business. So what does that mean? Is diversification of income. So I am looking to buy other businesses that work in well with the chemicals business that have property. So I'm in the commercial property space, industrial property, looking to buy businesses that have those properties as well because I'm happy to run and have the obligation of the businesses as long as I own the properties. Um, so my I'm niching in the commercial industrial space in the chemical space. And that for, for the mortgage side of things, now we've got a development property, you and I, we're not in a hurry to develop it. We've done our renovations. We're sitting tight on it. Would I be open to buying another property? I think I'm tapped out on the debt side of things. Maybe I've got to look at the regional uh, regional properties, the 10% to 12% type uh, yield properties. I still think there's room for prices to, to, to just flatten out at some of those areas. So... I think that people forget that it's okay to have a period of saving and that part of my property investing journey is this year I'm saving. I'm not saying, hey, I'm not going to buy any property, so I'm not going to worry about it. It's like, well, I'm adding, try to add another 100K, 200K to my savings so that I'm, I'm ready to buy when the time is right. Because I just bought in 2021, you know, I, I, I you don't have to buy a property every year. Yeah. Didn't Warren Buffett say something like this? Like sometimes it's better just to do nothing. But I don't want that to come across as that I'm not taking action in this market because you know, you know that I am, you know, I'm, I'm looking at 20 million of industrial property right now and trying to figure out how I can bring in partners to, to secure those properties. And, and the way to do that is that I, I've got to have controlling interests in the businesses as well. So I'm, I'm still doing deals i'm actually very very excited about a recessionary period because it makes other people scared to do deals so there's less competition i think for me i really want to get the project going uh, on the eight lot subdiv subdivision i just finished the one build in south auckland probably just let it go in the current market um, recycle some of that cash so that i can start the next project just build a bit more experience. And I think there are definitely opportunities. I agree. It's it's a market where if you're in a position to go, 
then there's no reason why you shouldn't. But again, it's being courageous and being educated, right? Just being able to make sure that you're learning from other people who, who have done it. And now that I've worked on deals, JV, with, part, with my family, with my business partner, with you know some of my really good friends, I think the next deal I want to do is a JV. Well, actually, I, I will do this deal and stay tuned. I will do a deal with my colleagues and staff where I'm, I'm bringing value to them by stitching together a deal where, you know, they couldn't do it by themselves. But if we all chip in a bit of money, there's value to be created on all sides. And that's one deal that I would be definitely doing this year a development deal of some sort where there's enough margin for everybody and everyone makes money and get good leverage out of it. Yeah. Uh, property investing should be fun and it's a team sport. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be just you and your wife. It can be you and your wife and your colleagues and a couple of your friends. Yeah. And that wraps up our first episode. And thanks for listening. If you guys want to check out our YouTube channel as well, Mortgage HQ, you'll find a lot of property-related, mortgage-related, finance-related videos uh, from Andrew and I, and sometimes we have guest speakers as well. But definitely give us feedback, send us emails about our first episode, Leverage Addict Podcast. Signing out.